One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 22, 23, and 24 of Divergent. Before I get into this episode, I just want to do a little trigger warning. Uh, this episode will go into some heavy themes around suicide, self-harm. So I just, it's pretty heavy, so I just wanted to flag that up top if you want to skip this episode. I anticipate that discussion will come at the end of the episode, so I can do another trigger warning just beforehand if you want to drop off, but I just thought I would flag that right up top. Now, where we left off, Triss has discovered a whole new definition of divergence. Apparently, she's divergent because she can mess around with the simulation and she knows she's in a simulation. And there's also this familiar woman. Well, it's a familiar voice. Well, it's a voice that she thinks she might've heard in a dream once. And this familiar voice is talking in hallways about being divergent. Tori's talking behind a curtain about being divergent. Everyone's just talking about being divergent. Meanwhile, she's come first in the rankings. Well, not the rankings, in the update of the rankings. Because Veronica felt like we needed a ranking update in order to propel the plot forward. And how that did propel the plot forward is by Al, Drew and Peter attacking Triss and trying to throw her off the railing at the chasm. Oh, and she's rescued by four. And so we start chapter 22, she's opening her eyes and there's the words fear God alone painted on a plain white wall. And that's how Four has decorated his quarters, just by painting a motto on the wall. I don't know if he's going to get his bond back. I don't know if he owns his apartment or wherever he is staying. I don't know if he owns it or if he's subletting or if he, you know, just has carte blanche to write whatever he wants on the walls, but apparently he's doing some graffiti work and that's his interior design. And it confuses me because I thought they didn't fear anything, but apparently he fears God and God only. Although we do know he's afraid of heights. So maybe he's, he's like fear God alone, dot, dot, dot in brackets and, and Ferris wheels. So Triss is waking up, her eyesight's a bit blurry. There's a throb in her head. She says, oh God. I see a blue patchwork quilt under my head. She sees a quilt under her head, but her eyes open up to the walls, so she's not face down, but no, she, she can see what's, what's under her head. Maybe that's a trait of divergence, having eyes in the back of your head. And then she sees four in the bathroom and he's washing his hands in the sink because there's blood on his knuckles. So then he comes over with an ice pack. He puts it underneath Triss's head and she's like, oh, your hands. And he's like, don't worry about my hands. And she also notices a cut on his lip and she goes to reach out to touch his lip. And then she's like, wait a minute, Triss, what are you doing? You can't touch his lip. And then she thinks, well, what have I got to lose? And so she touches his lip. 
which is very inappropriate. This is a teacher-student relationship. I feel unsettled. And he's like, Dad, Tris, I'm fine. And she's like, why were you there? And he says, I was coming back from the control room and I heard a scream. Sounds suspicious to me. And he says, Peter and Al ran, but Drew is in the infirmary. And he says, at least I think he'll live. In what condition, I can't say. So we're sort of led to believe that four beat the shit out of Drew. And Tris knows that she shouldn't feel happy about it, but she does. She feels white hot triumph at Drew being hurt. And she says, good. And then four is resting his hand on the side of her face with his thumb skimming her cheekbone. Not appropriate. And he says, I could report this. And she says, no, I don't want them to think I'm scared. And he nods. It's like, maybe you should report it for. You're the authority. You are the person training these kids. Maybe you should report it. And also maybe you shouldn't have beaten Drew up. Like I'm all for Drew getting beaten up, but maybe as the teacher, you probably shouldn't have. But no, instead of him speaking out and maybe reprimanding Drew and Peter and Al, I mean, aside from beating Drew up, which he did do, instead of taking any action, Forger says, well, it's up to you guys. And he says, I suggest you rely on your transfer friends to protect you from now on. Like what? Four, do you not know who just beat her up? Three people from her transfer group, including one of her friends. He's like, oh, you know what? I wish I could help, but it's out of my hands. You should just rely on your friends to protect you from being thrown into a chasm. He's like, you know what? I've done my time. I've done my part. I really wish there was something I could do, like report them, but I just can't. And it's like, no, Fort, you can kick them out. Does he have no power? Can he not dock them house points or something? And then he's given her some shit advice. He's like, oh, Al hurt you because he wanted you to be the small, quiet girl from abnegation. He hurt you because your strength made him feel weak. No other reason. So maybe the others wouldn't be as jealous of you if you just showed some vulnerability. Even if it's not real, just show us some vulnerability. And I'm like, Four, you sound like RuPaul and Michelle Visage on RuPaul's Drag Race. The judges, they always want to see vulnerability. And he's telling her, you know, just play weak and then they might not pick on you. It's like, Four, or you could just tell them not to pick on her. And she's like, I don't want to appear weak. The whole point of this whole initiation program is to not be weak and not to be seen to be weak. But he says, you're going to want to march into breakfast tomorrow and show your attackers they had no effect on you. But you should let that bruise on your cheek show and keep your head down. Or you could just step up and tell them off for, maybe do that. And he's like, look, kid, I feel like it's more important for you to be safe than right for the time being. You get me? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I get you, whatever. And he nods and he's like, okay, good. But when you do see an opportunity, ruin them. So maybe he is advocating that she, she beat them up. Very unclear teaching methods from four right now. And then she says, you know what, four, you're a little scary. And he says, do me a favor and don't call me that. I don't know if he's saying, don't call me scary or don't call me four. (laughs) I'm not too sure. And she says, well, what should I call you? And he says, nothing. And then he says, yet. What the hell does that mean? You're a little scary for, do me a favor and don't call me that. What should I call you then? Nothing, yet. 
And she ends the chapter on that. So there must be some meaning there. But is he cracking onto her? Is that all it is? Or is he like, you haven't seen scary? Or does he just not want to be called four? Very unclear on his motivations in this scene. So that was a short chapter. We're now moving on to chapter 23. She's saying she doesn't go back to the dorms that night. She's like, meh, I'm just going to stay in four's bed. And it's like, yeah, I bet you are, you dirty bitch. She justifies it being like, oh, I don't want to sleep in the same room as the people who attacked me just to look brave. She's like, you know what? I'll maybe just, I'll just stay in four's, four's bed. Why not? He'll sleep on the floor. I'll sleep on the bed. And I'm like, okay, you also want to fuck four. That's what's happening here. I don't know if you know it yet, but I know it. It's clear as day. And then she's on four's bed. And oh God, she loves to smell everything, doesn't she? Remember when she got attacked, she only identified that it was Al because of the smell of the lemongrass soap that he usually uses. She just loves a smell. So she's smelling his pillowcase and she says it smells like detergent and something heavy, sweet and distinctly male. What do you think that is? Heavy, sweet and distinctly male. Is it cum? (laughs) I don't know. Is she smelling cum or is it just sweat? It could just be sweat, but distinctly male? B.O.? Could it be? Well, no, it's sweet. I think she's smelling cum. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing at night, but Four's room smells like a hormonal boy's room. That's all I'll say. And then Four's asleep and she's looking at him sleeping on the floor and she's like, you know what? Maybe I do like him. And I'm like, oh, finally, finally, we've got that realization. She says, it's easier for me to admit it now that I'm in the dark after all that has just happened. She says, he's not sweet or gentle or particularly kind, but he is smart and brave. And even though he saved me, he treated me like I was strong. That's all I need to know. Imagine describing your crush to like your friend and they're like, oh, what's he like? And you're like, well, he's not sweet and he's not gentle and he's not even kind. (laughs) Why is she trying to sell us on this guy by, by listing his bad qualities up front? And I don't know if being smart and brave outweigh the fact that he's not sweet or gentle or kind to her. I think kindness would be more important, but she's dauntless. So I guess being brave is what she prizes more than anything, even when it comes to a romantic partner. And then she's watching the muscles in his back expand and contract until she falls asleep. And I do think she is a bit of a perv. We noticed it last time when she was looking at Araya's stomach. Now she's looking at four a lot. And to prove my point, the next morning she wakes up. She feels like shit. She's very sore, but she's like, you know what? I'm just going to walk into breakfast with my big bruise and start mending my friendships. I do think it's kind of fucked that she has to pretend to be weak just for her friends to like her. I think her friends are shit. I mean, especially Al, because he tried to kill her. Um, But even Christina and Will... I think we're being a bit unkind towards her and not celebrating her wins. I don't think they're the best friends that she's making them out to be. Anyway, Four then walks in, fresh from the shower, and she says, I feel a thrill in my stomach when I see the line of skin that shows above his belt as he lifts his hand to dry his hair and I force my eyes up to his face. She is Perv City. She is looking this man up and down. She loves a little bit of stomach. Nothing turns Tris on more than seeing a little bit of stomach. And so she says, hi. And he says, oh, hey, how's your head? 
And she doesn't say haven't had any complaints. She says fine. So she missed the opportunity there to flirt with him a little bit. And then he says, how's your side? And then he touches her hip where she got kicked. And she says every muscle in her body tightens as he touches her side. And it's either because of the sexual tension or the fact that he's touching her sore body where she got kicked and she's bruised. Like, don't touch her for. You can ask how someone's side is without touching that part of their body. You don't need to demonstrate where on her body it hurts. She knows where it hurts. And she says, only hurts when I breathe. Peter would probably throw a party if I stopped breathing. And he says, well, I would only go if there was cake. And she laughs at that and then winces because the laughter hurts. I don't know if it's that funny. I I would be like, um, no, if I do die from not being able to breathe, maybe don't go to Peter's party where he's throwing a party for my death just because there's cake. This is a perfect example of him not being very kind or gentle or sweet. And then he's sliding his hands back slowly, his fingertips grazing her side. Get your hands off her, mate. All throughout these past two chapters, there's just been a lot of touching on both sides. She was touching his lip. He's touching her side. They're all touching each other's faces. Very tactile. And I don't like it. So they go to the dining hall and he walks in first. And she's like, okay, I got to go in. I have to pretend to be weak. And then she's like, wait a minute. I don't have to pretend to be weak. I am weak. I'm feeling very sore. I can't take deep breaths. And she says, no, I can't let this happen. They attacked me to make me feel weak. I can pretend they succeeded to protect myself, but I can't let it become true. And no, Tris, I don't think they did attack you to make you feel weak. I think they tried to kill you. I think that was just for spin on how you should handle it. I, I do think they tried to kill you. Was a little bit more than just a power play. So she walks over to Uriah, Will and Christina and they're like, oh shit. And Al isn't there. She says, Al isn't there. He isn't anywhere. Well, he, he must be somewhere, Tris. Just cause he's not in the dining hall doesn't mean he's not anywhere. He's around. Al's not anywhere. How do you know? Have you checked? And she says, Uriah slides into the seat next to me, leaving his half eaten muffin and half finished glass of water on the other table. Again with the muffins. All anyone in Dauntless eats are muffins. A muffin and a glass of water for breakfast. It's, it's the breakfast of champions is what it is. But she looks over at Peter and he's sitting there eating a piece of toast and whispering something to Molly. So thank God someone else has eaten toast. Other breakfast foods exist in this universe. I am so relieved. I was starting to think all they ate were muffins. Never told us what's in the muffin. Like Veronica, you're adding in so many details that we don't need to know. And yet you haven't told me what type of muffin it is. Is it blueberry? Is it bran? Is it apple and cinnamon? Let me know what we're working with. If you're gonna make everyone be eating muffins all the time, I'd like to know. And she says she got beat up by Peter, Drew, and, and she swallows, and ow. So perfect delivery of the cliffhanger there. She just really left her friends in suspense. And they're like, oh my God. And she's making eyes at Peter and she hates the guy, but she's like, you know what? I have to, 
make it look like he scares me, even though I want to kill him. She says, four was right. I have to do everything I can to make sure I don't get attacked again. If only four had any power at all to reprimand Peter. No, it's all on Triss's shoulders. She needs to play the victim in order to not get attacked again. No one could ever say anything to Peter. It's out of Peter's hands as well. It's all up to Triss to not be attacked. Like, is this logic bothering anyone else? And Uriah's like, well, that's not fair. Three against one. And Christina's like, yeah, and Peter is all about what's fair. That's why he grabbed Edward in his sleep and stabbed him in the eye. And she's like, but Al though, are you sure, Triss? And so then Triss is staring at her plate and she thinks, I'm the next Edward. But unlike him, I'm not going to leave. Uh, Yeah, he had a knife in his eye. It's a bit different. Yeah, he left because he was visually impaired. He was blinded practically. There was no way he was getting through initiation with one eye. You're not the same. You've got a bruise on your face and your side hurts, which is terrible. But it's not a knife in the eye. She's like, I'm Edward, but I'm going to do better than him. It's kind of not an even playing ground, Tris. And then Will starts making excuses for Al. He's like, you know what? It's probably out of desperation. He's been acting like different, like a different person ever since stage two started. Like, you you know Triss just said that Al tried to kill her, right? You don't need to be taking his side and making excuses for him. He tried to kill her, Will. Is he just sticking on Al's side because of the bro code? And then Drew shuffles into the dining hall and he is swollen and purple. He's got a cut lip. He's got cuts through his eyebrow. And she looks over at four and he is wearing a satisfied smile. And then Uriah's like, we got to do something. There's no point beating them up because that's pain they can get over. We have to edge them out of the rankings. That will damage their futures permanently. Yeah, great plan. Let's beat them in the rankings. Weren't you already trying to do that? Hasn't Triss already done that? Uriah, aren't you also at the top of the leaderboard? Let's, let's get them. Let's show them that we're better than them by beating them at the rankings, which we're already doing. That, that'll that do it. Not a great plan, Uriah. So then Four calls the transfers over. He's like, come on, we're doing something different today. Follow me. And Uriah says to Triss, be careful. And Will's like, don't worry, we'll protect her. Like you've been doing a bang up job so far, Will. You ditched her yesterday because she did better in the rankings. God, Will, shut up. So then Four takes them on an excursion, walking up the pit. They're walking up that pit wall, you know, where there's no railing. They've got a railing down at the bottom of the chasm, but not up the top of the pit where you could also fall and then die. And while they're walking along, Christina says, you know what? I never really said I was sorry for taking the flag when you earned it. I don't know what was wrong with me. That's not what you need to be apologizing for, Christina. You ditched her yesterday and You made a dissider for pretending to be weak, which ironically is what she's doing this chapter. She's like, I would never pretend to be weak. Don't say that. But next minute she's pretending to be weak. Quite ironic. But yeah, Christina, you're apologizing for the wrong thing. And Tris just forgives her because that's her abnegation upbringing, blah, blah. So she says they're climbing higher than she's ever gone before. And Will's face goes white whenever he looks down. And she's like, you know what? I don't mind heights. So I grab Will's arm like I need his support. 
but really I'm lending him mine. And he smiles gratefully at her. I call bullshit on this because if someone's really afraid of heights and they're walking up this precarious walkway with no railing and someone grabbed your arm, you would flinch and be freaked out. But no, he's grateful. But then she sees Four stare at them and Four's eyes shift to her arm around Will's and his expression sends a chill through her and she thinks, is he jealous? Ah. Jeez Louise, we're already at the jealousy stage. Like you're not even together yet. And already you're being that possessive clingy boyfriend for I'm not loving ya. So they get closer and closer to the glass ceiling. So that's where they're walking to apparently. And she says, for the first time in days, I see the sun. And then they're walking up a flight of metal stairs through a hole in the ceiling. And all of a sudden they're not on a ceiling, they're on a floor. (laughs) That's I guess how ceilings and floors work. They're not on a ceiling, they're on the floor because they're now in a cylindrical room with glass walls. But all the surrounding buildings have collapsed and are abandoned. I am having trouble picturing this. But what she's trying to get at is this building that they're now in, that's where the majority of the Dauntless hang out. So it's only like the the newbies, the initiates and transfers that hang out in the pit for their training why they just have a tattoo parlor down there as well. I'm not, I'm not too sure, but upstairs is where it's at. So that explains why they have a visiting day because the people who are living upstairs get to go down to the pit to see their family. I, I still think it's just a couple of flights of stairs and a walk around a pathway with no railing. Like you can visit, you're all in the same spot essentially. But nah, so this, this is the proper compound up here. It seems a little bit complicated. And then Four takes them through another door. And this is (laughs) a space with graffitied walls and exposed pipes. And the room is lit by a series of old fashioned fluorescent tubes with plastic covers. They must be ancient, she says. When the fuck is this set? Oh, fluorescent lighting, ancient. What kind of lighting are they using downstairs? Why is she so floored by this ancient lighting when like you just went up to the top of a building and zip lined through a city and you're like, yeah, this all makes sense. But fluorescent tubes with plastic covers, what? So Four says, this is a different kind of simulation known as the fear landscape. (sighs) It has been disabled for our purposes. So this isn't what it will look like the next time you see it. And behind him, the word dauntless is spray painted in red artistic lettering on a concrete wall which is an odd detail to include. So it sort of makes me assume that Four has a little graffiti habit because he's got the graffiti in his bedroom. He's got graffiti up in this training room. I think he's a bit of a vandal. And Four explains through your simulations, we have stored data about your worst fears. (sighs) The fear landscape accesses that data and presents you with a series of virtual obstacles. (laughs) Some of the obstacles will be fears you previously faced in your simulations. Some may be new fears. The difference is that you are aware in the fear landscape that it is a simulation. So you will have all your wits about you as you go through it. Okay. So it's another simulation, (laughs) but it's a bit more hands-on. To me, it just sounds like an obstacle course. I don't know why Four had to show and tell us by taking us to this room, which is just a fricking room. He said, it's not gonna look like this next time. So, so why are we here now for the explanation? 
It's just like when they went on the excursion to the fence to talk about the fence, but we didn't say anything at the fence. What's the point? He's like, guys, today we're doing something different. Come with me. Acting like it's exciting. And they're like, oh, it's, it's a room with exposed pipes and fluorescent lights. Thanks for the amazing trip for. So she's thinking, ah, stage three. Everyone being aware that it's a simulation, that means that everyone will be like divergent in the fear landscape. And she's like, oh no, I don't know if that's good because I won't be detected or a problem because I won't have the advantage. So she's trying to make out like she'll be protected from being found out that she's divergent in this fear landscape. But I don't think that's the case because Kate Winslet was just downstairs last night saying, well, from now on, it becomes more obvious who's divergent and who isn't. So surely there would be more opportunity for you to be exposed if Kate Winslet is telling us that. But no, she thinks she'll be more protected. He says, I told you before that the third stage of initiation focuses on mental preparation. That is because it requires you to control both your emotions and your body to combine the physical abilities you learned in stage one with the emotional mastery you learned in stage two. Ugh. Oh my God. Okay, sure. Next week, you will go through your fear landscape as quickly as possible in front of a panel of dauntless leaders. That will be your final test, which determines your rankings for stage three. Oh, wait, no, sorry. So this is just the end of stage two. It's not stage three yet. God, when is this ever going to end? And I'm starting to get worried because we're more than halfway through this book and I feel like it's dragon. Do you guys feel like it's dragon? We've just been stuck in this pit for like 20 chapters. And I'm like, when are we going to get to it? It's just training, training, training. For what? Like, are there just going to be more scenes of them describing what the stages are like and how the rating system works? Because he's tells, he tells us, he says, just as stage two of initiation is weighted more heavily than stage one, stage three is weighted heaviest of all. Understood? I was like, no, it's not. It's not understood. How can it be weighted heaviest? But you've also told me that it's really hard to improve your ranking from stage one, which is weighed the least. To me, it's really sounding like a game of whose line is it anyway, you know, where the points don't matter. And what's the ratings for just to kick out people who are of a low rank so you only get the cream of the crop? Maybe just kick out the people who are killing and stabbing the other initiates and sexually assaulting them and throwing them into the chasm. Cut out those people and you might have just the right amount. You might have great numbers if you just cut out the sociopaths. Maybe do that and you won't need to go through this whole ranking system. But stupid Triss, she is just accepting everything. She says, you know what? Yeah, okay. If I do well in my final test, I have a good chance of making it into the top 10 and a good chance of becoming a member. Like, bitch, you're ranked first. You have a great chance. I don't know if it matters how you go in stage three. You're already looking pretty good. And she's like, oh, becoming dauntless. The thought makes me almost giddy with relief. After what you've been through, I'd be running the other way. Oh, and four just keeps talking. He says, you can get past each obstacle in one of two ways. Oh, there'll be more than one obstacle, depending on how many fears you have, by the way. If you're afraid of 20 things, you'll see 20 things. But if you're afraid of one thing, you'll just see the one thing. And he says, you can either calm down enough that the simulation registers a normal steady heartbeat or find a way to face your fear, which will force the simulation to move on. And he says, for example, if you have a fear of drowning, maybe swim deeper. 
Oh, God. This stupid Dauntless, they really hate fear, don't they? Like, they're a faction that hates fear so much, you spend a lot of time talking about it. (sighs) And Peter's like, hey, doesn't really sound fair that someone with seven fears can compete against someone with 20 fears. And Four's like, you want to talk about what's fair? And he says, I understand why you're worried, Peter. The events of last night certainly proved that you are a miserable coward. And it's like, okay, yeah, then cut him. Cut him. You've just freed up a spot for shitty Al. And, you know, I was like, yeah, good point well made for. But no, he just keeps going. He says, so now we all know that you are afraid of a short, skinny girl from abnegation. It's like, okay, you could have just stopped at miserable coward. You didn't need to then go and make fun of Triss. This is again indicating to me that you are not a kind, gentle, sweet person. And then they go back to the dorm and Al's there. Remember Al? He wasn't anywhere, but now he's there. And I'm like, how is he just able to skip class? Like, Al, this is why you're failing, bud. Because you're not attending the excursion to the shitty room that doesn't mean anything yet. Yeah, that was the whole excursion. They just went to the, f- the room with the fluorescence, got amazed by that ancient technology of fluorescent lighting, got a speech from four and then went back downstairs. Pointless. So she has a bad reaction to seeing Al. She's like, yeah, Al's face is swollen from crying, but the scent of lemongrass and sage, which was once so pleasant, turns sour in my nose. And she starts giving him nooch. And he's like, oh, Tris, can I talk to you? I I won't hurt you. I never wanted to. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with me. Please forgive me, please. Lots of dot, dot, dots in between that little speech. And he reaches out to touch her shoulder. And she says, stay away from me. She tells us somewhere inside her is a merciful, forgiving person. But she can't find that person inside of us. She's like, no, thank you. I am not taking no high road today. So as much as she's meant to be half abnegation, she's suppressed that part of her. And she says, stay away from me. Never come near me again. If you do, I swear to God, I will kill you, you coward. And that's the end of that chapter. And so we go into chapter 24. This is again, when I want to say trigger warning we will be discussing suicide. So if you're uncomfortable with that, please stop the episode right now and I'll see you guys next week. So now we go to chapter 24. She's having a dream that her mum's cooking a crow in a pot and she says dinner and she opens up the thing and there's a crow. Like kind of pointless again. Oh, she had a good, she had a dream. Wow. Amazing. Like, uh, Dreams in books. I'm not interested in people's dreams in real life. When someone's like, oh my God, I had a dream the other day. I'm like, yeah, okay. And they're like, and this happened and this happened. I'm like, yeah, it wasn't real. So why am I interested? And like, you know, it's never that interesting what they're saying. They're like, you were a clown or we went to Vegas and I lost money at the craps table. And I'm like, okay, yeah. And then like, at what point does it become interesting for me? Like from your perspective, Why would I care? And so like reading a dream sequence in a book, I'm like, okay, why do I care? Like, I already know you're afraid of birds, apparently, particularly crows. And I know you have mummy issues. So you're not really telling me anything new. 
So Christina wakes her up and her cheeks are streaked with mascara tinted tears. And I was impressed that Tris knew what mascara was because usually she just writes out a description of the piece of makeup's purpose and function instead of actually naming what the piece of makeup is. So I was impressed. She said mascara. And she says, it's Al, come on. So they run over to the chasm and there's a crowd gathered there as two men next to the ledge hoist something up with ropes and a huge dark shape appears above the ledge and the shape falls with a thud on the pit floor, a pale arm swollen with water flops onto the stone, a body, she describes it a bit more, she says, the eyes are open and empty, dark, doll's eyes. I think she's She's banging it on a fair bit much. This is why I put in the trigger warning because she's really going into a lot of detail about the bloated corpse. And then finally she says, Al. And, and it's like, well, yeah, we, we kind of all assumed it was Al. She even tipped us off. She was like, oh my God, I bet it's Al. And then she goes on for this like three paragraph description of a corpse without saying any of Al's features. And then she's like, oh my God, it's Al. And it's like, okay, thanks for the reveal. It's a little bit in bad taste, I believe. Like you can do a reveal in other circumstances. Like we just had a great Al reveal a couple of chapters ago when he was trying to kill you. I don't know if it was really necessary at this point. And so then someone says what's going on and someone else says, same thing that happens every year. He pitched himself over the ledge and someone's like, it could have been an accident. And they say, they found him in the middle of the chasm. You think he tripped over his shoelace and whoopsies just stumbled 15 feet forward? Okay, I'm a little unsure how they did find him. How was he found? Like, yeah, he he went over in the middle of the chasm, but I assume into the river because he's swollen with water. And is the river not flowing? Where's the river going? I thought the corpse would wash out, but I don't know. And then she says someone kneels over and pushes his eyelids shut, trying to make it look like he's sleeping maybe. And she says, that's stupid. Why do people want to pretend that death is sleep? It isn't. It isn't. She says it isn't twice. Now, don't think it's a typo. I think she's just trying to put in some creative flair to her writing to make it seem like Triss is shell-shocked and in a tough mental state, maybe. Because she's also doing like really short sentences, like stupid, full stop. And then she says, my chest is so tight, comma, suffocating, comma, can't breathe. So she's like writing in staccato rhythm, I think just to indicate, you know, the overwhelming stress and shock of the moment. But then guess what she fucking does? She starts laughing because she sees someone bring in a large black body bag to put the body in. And she says, I can tell that it will be too small. She says, a laugh rises in my throat and flops from my mouth strained and gurgling. Tris, it's not funny. She's always laughing when she shouldn't be. And she's saying to herself, oh my God, don't laugh, don't laugh. But even later she laughs again about it. So then we cut to a scene with her and Tori and Tori's making her a peppermint tea and it's the day of the funeral. And she says, when it comes to funerals, the Dauntless don't waste any time. They want to acknowledge death as soon as it happens. So we don't know if it's the same day or the next day, but it must be very soon. And she says, at home, a funeral is a somber occasion, but here everybody's getting drunk. 
And then she's asking Tori, how long did it take for you to be okay again after your brother? I don't know if it's the same thing. Like this man tried to kill you and then he killed himself. Whereas Tori's brother was murdered. Like I, I, I don't know if you're comparing apples and oranges here, Tris. And Tori's like, you know what? Some days I feel like I'm still not okay. Some days I feel fine. It took me years to stop plotting revenge though. And she's like, but I don't think of it as stopping. More like I'm waiting for my opportunity. So Tori's effectively saying that she wants to overthrow the Dauntless leadership because she knows that the Dauntless leadership killed her brother. So she's effectively promoting revolution. And we all know Triss hates revolution because when the abnegation put out their leaflet suggesting that they overthrow the government, she was like, revolutions suck. But with Tori, she's like, hmm, okay, just musing on it. So she goes down to the pit floor. Everyone's gathered there. Unsure if they're still gathered there from when they found the body or if there has been a time jump. I, I, I really don't know when we are in the world, but everyone's drunk and giggling, which is really weird. A slap in the face to poor Al. So then she meets up with Uriah, Will and Christina and Uriah offers her a sip of his flask and she says no. And Molly, who's just always around like a bad smell, she says, surprise, surprise. Once a stiff, always a stiff. And Triss is like, I'm not going to cop that. So she spins around and punches Molly in the face, which I will never get enough of. Like when she beat up Molly before, I loved it. She's beaten up Molly now. I love it. Her little plan to act and pretend to be weak seems to have been abandoned, but she doesn't care. She punched Molly in the jaw and she feels great about it. And then Eric comes up onto a box to give the eulogy. And she says, in abnegation, no one has committed suicide in recent memory, but the faction's stance on it is clear. Suicide to them is an act of selfishness. Someone who is truly selfless does not think of himself often enough to desire death. So, oh, abnegation, truly the worst faction. You cannot do anything. And like, why would your first reaction when someone commits suicide be like, oh, how dare they? They're so selfish. Like, maybe have a bit more empathy than that. Abnegation should be the empathetic ones, but they don't seem to be. There seems to be a disconnect between what they preach. And it really does feel like, it's quite self-serving. They're only doing good things to appear good and they're not actually doing it out of their own goodwill. I really am with Erudite. I think we should overthrow abnegation. They all suck. Also, she says no one has committed suicide in abnegation. Like, how do you know, Triss? Like, how do you know? But Dauntless, they take the opposite approach to abnegation because Eric's doing his eulogy and he says, oh, Albert jumped into the chasm last night We don't know why, and it would be easy to mourn the loss of him tonight. So, oh, oh, okay. So it's, it's, it's the day they found him. It's the day they found him and they're having the funeral straight away. That's some, some quick movement. That's some fast planning on Dauntless's side, but no. So he's saying, we did not choose a life of ease when we became Dauntless. And the truth of it is... Albert is now exploring an unknown, uncertain place. He leaped into vicious waters to get there. Who among us is brave enough to venture into that darkness without knowing what lies beyond it? Albert was not yet one of our members, but we can be assured that he was one of our bravest. 
And then everyone starts whooping. They're cheering. The crowd's cheering. And she says she hears a whoop. So that's like the complete opposite of abnegation. Who are like, oh, it's selfish. They're like, oh God, it's brave. And it's like, can there be no middle ground with these stupid factions? None of them have any sympathy. They're all just trying to push their own faction ideology onto someone's suicide. I bet the Erudite are like, oh, it's very smart. And the Amity are like, oh, there's nothing kinder. And Candor are like, oh, it's a truthful act. Like, can you all just fuck off and admit that this kid was depressed? You guys had taunted him with his own fears for weeks. He's been separated from his family all because of this one decision that he was forced to make. And then in training, you were making him beat up people which he did not want to do. And so he got beaten up instead. And you've pretty much said, oh, effectively, you will be factionless soon because we don't want you because you're not good enough. Like, yeah, is it any wonder he was driven? Oh, I I don't want to get into it, but it's just crazy to me how they're all like, oh, didn't see this coming. It's like, yeah, your system's shit. This is why there's like a suicide every year. Also, we don't know for sure that it was a suicide. I think it was, but it could have easily have been Peter killing him and staging it as a suicide. Like we don't know. And then they all start chanting to Albert the Courageous and they're like, Albert, Albert, Albert. And it's like, well, his name was Al. I think we can drop Albert. And so Tris isn't loving it. She walks off. She's like, Courageous. Courageous would have been admitting weakness and leaving Dauntless no matter what shame accompanied it. Pride is what killed Al and it is the flaw in every Dauntless heart. It is even in mine. And I think she's retconning her own beliefs there because she said to us like at least six or seven times, oh, I would never be factionless. I'd rather die than be factionless. And now she's saying that Al is weak because he didn't have enough courage to leave Dauntless, which is something that she would never do. So I was like, you know what? Fuck off, Triss. But then she runs into Four as she's leaving the eulogy. And she says to Four, what are you doing here? Shouldn't you be paying your respects? And he's like, shouldn't you? And she says, can't pay respect when you don't have any, which is another bitchy comment. Like, I understand that he did try to kill you like two nights ago. I get that. But I think she's saying it because she thinks he's weak because he committed suicide because that's her abnegation instinct coming through. So it's like, oh, fuck off, Tris. Like, think outside of your own perspective just for once. And she says to Four, she's like, he wasn't brave. Everyone's acting like he's brave just because he threw himself off a ledge. He was depressed and a coward and he almost killed me. Is that the kind of thing we respect here? And Four's like, well, what do you want us to do? He's already dead. Like, he can't hear it if we condemn him now. It's too late. And she's like, it's not about Al. It's about everyone else watching who will now think they're a hero if they then go and commit suicide. And she says, this would never have happened in abnegation. None of it. And Four's like, oh, careful, Triss. And she's like, what, what? Is that all you're going to say? That I should be careful? That's all. And he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. I'm not going to say this again. So listen carefully. They're watching you. You in particular. And he says, I keep trying to help you, but you refuse to be helped. And she's like, oh yeah, you're trying to help me by what? Like stabbing my ear with a knife and taunting me and yelling at me more than you yell at anybody else. And he's like, taunting you? 
You mean when I threw the knives? I was reminding you that if you failed, someone else would have to take your place. And I do think she has a point. I don't know if your teaching methods are that great for, but he's like, see, all along, I was trying to teach you that because you're from abnegation, it's when you're acting selflessly that you are at your bravest, which I don't know what type of logic he's using, but it works on her. She's like, oh, I get it. He wasn't telling me to give up. He was reminding me why I couldn't because I needed to protect Al. <sighs> so she just, she just ate that up. He's like, oh, I'm not taunting you. I'm, I'm training you. And she was just like, yeah, okay, understood. I agree. She was all riled up. But the first thing he said, she was like, uh-huh, point taken. But then stupid four, Mr. Mixed Messages, he says, oh, if I were you, I would do a better job of pretending that selfless impulse is going away because if the wrong people discover it, well, it won't be good for you. So he's like, oh, I've been tricking you into acting selflessly to show your bravery because it's when you're selfless that you're the bravest, but also don't be too selfless because it will backfire on you. Then why are you manipulating her to be selfless? Is he gaslighting her? Like, why is he doing this? He's like, oh, I can't protect you. You can. Oh, I can't be nice to you. You can. Oh, I can't train you the same as everyone else. You can. And she says, why? Why do these people care about my intentions? And he says, intentions are the only thing they care about. What? They try to make you think they care about what you do, but they don't. They don't want you to act a certain way. They want you to think a certain way so you're easy to understand, so you won't pose a threat to them. This is so complicated. And Tris, she (laughs) she just zones right out because his shirt is just tight enough that she can see his collarbone and the faint depression between his shoulder muscle and his bicep. So she's just distracted by his bicep and his collarbone while he's outlining to her what dauntless leadership are trying to find and how they're going to discover that she's divergent. He's like, oh, here's the, here's the secret of the faction system. I'm exposing the purpose behind initiation. I'm telling you all the secrets. And she's like, oh, look at your shirt. It's so tight. Like, can you just focus, Tris? But no, 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 no. He's dropping truth bombs albeit gaslighty truth bombs. And she's like, oh, you know what? I wish I was taller. If I was tall, then my narrow build would be described as willowy instead of childish. And he might not see me like a little sister that he needs to protect. I don't want him to see me as his sister. And I'm like, what, where is this coming from? You're having a conversation about how you need to hide your divergence because they want to control how you think. And she's like, la da dee da 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 dee And finally she snaps out of it and she says, oh, I don't understand. She says, I don't understand, I say, why they care what I think as long as I'm acting how they want me to, which when you put it together makes sense. But when she says, I don't understand, comma, I say, it's like, why are you breaking it up? Because then the next part of the sentence is, why they care what I think. It just sounds silly. Why'd she put in the I say in the middle of the sentence? Ugh. And he says, you're acting how they want you to now, but what happens when your abnegation wired brain tells you to do something else? Oh, because if you're born in a faction, you have to be wired to think like that faction, even though you've been told that you're apt for other factions. Oh my God. 
And she, oh God, she says, I don't know. She says, am I wired like abnegation or am I wired like dauntless? Maybe the answer is neither. And it's like, why are you thinking? You know, you're divergent. Your whole storyline is that you're divergent. So you're not wired like either of them. What? Why is she only now, now in chapter 24? Thinking about what it means to be diverged. You should have been thinking about this for the past 20 chapters. And then he leans his face close to hers and wraps his fingers around her chin. Again, a lot of inappropriate touching and face holding. Like don't touch other people's faces. That's gross. And she says, his hand smells like metal. What? What does metal smell like? And she thinks it's because he's been holding a gun or a knife recently. What? Is that, is that a hint? Why is she, why, why is she bringing this up? Is she dropping clues to something? I don't know, but why else would she say his hands smell like metal? What an odd detail. I mean, I'd rather smell metal on your hands than that sweet, sticky smell that you smelled on his pillow. But of course, her skin tingles at the point of contact. (sighs) And he says, my first instinct is to push you until you break, just to see how hard I have to press. What? Why? You could just teach her how to shoot a gun, teach her how to throw knives, and teach her how to face her fears. Isn't that enough? Like, how did we go from capturing the flag to now needing to know how far he needs to push you till you break? Like, what, 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 where is this coming from? And he says... Fear doesn't shut you down. It wakes you up. I've seen it. It's fascinating. Sometimes I just want to see it again. Want to see you awake. That's not normal for. That's not normal. Just stick to teaching her how to throw knives. So then she puts her hands on his waist. And then pulls herself against his chest. Wrapping my arms around him, she says. My fingers skim the muscles of his back. Why? Why? Is is that a hug? I think she just elaborately told us that she hugged him, but she really broke it down movement by movement. But why? And then he touches the small of her back, pressing her closer and smooths his other hand over her hair. What was the point of this conversation? How do we get on the topic? Like you're at Al's funeral and now you're, you're hugging and talking about how he's trying to make you crack so he can watch you be afraid. Like that's essentially what he said. Oh, I love seeing you afraid because it drives you and I want to see that. Like what? Well, that's creepy. Isolate it out of context and that's creepy. And again, she just is thinking only about herself. She says, the simulations drove a crack through Al so wide he could not mend it. Why not me? Why am I not like him? And why does that thought make me feel so uneasy? Okay, it's not about you. And then she says, if I had forgiven him, do you think he would be alive right now? Well, actually, so maybe it is a little bit about you. Maybe a little bit. But I don't think you should be putting the blame on yourself because maybe it was the whole dauntless initiation that drove him to it. Maybe it's not a nice feeling being stuck in a simulation of your worst fears every day. That might've had something to do with it, just a hunch. And four says, maybe there's more we all could have done, but we just have to let the guilt remind us to do better next time. 
And she's like, wait a minute, that's abnegation thinking, using guilt as a tool rather than a weapon against the self. So basically she's just saying, guilt trips, that's an abnegation quality. And then she's like, wait a minute, what faction do you come from for? And he's like, does it matter? This is where I am now. Something you would do well to remember for yourself. Yes, Tris, this is the whole point of this faction system. It's the whole, been the whole point of the book. You are dauntless now. Let that abnegation shit go. But then he gives her a conflicted look and touches his lips to her forehead, right between her eyebrows. Very uh, intimate for an instructor-student relationship. And she doesn't say anything. He doesn't move. He just stays there with his mouth pressed to her skin. And she stays there with her hands on his waist for a long time. And that's the end of the chapter. And, and all of a sudden her hands are at his waist. I thought, I thought she was feeling his back a minute ago. Yep. Yep. I'm just scrolling, scrolling back. And she says, my fingers skim the muscles of his back. <gasps> she moved her hands on his body and Veronica didn't tell us. She usually tells us every little detail of a hand movement and she didn't, I feel betrayed. So that's the end of that chapter. Not a favorite of mine. I did not like the past three chapters that we just covered. It felt like we are stuck in a rut. I apologize that it got a bit heavy and awkward for us there, but I assume we'll never hear about Owl ever again. So yeah, sorry, it's a bummer. See you next week. Bye. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 
Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading.